Our text starts off with something very direct. It said God was going to test Abraham. Now, if the angel of the Lord came to you and said, I want you to give up the thing you love the most, what would that be? See, we end up in the first part of the story with Abraham saying that God's going to provide. And when we think about sharing the gospel with people in our community, and they're going to be looking for what's God going to do for me rather than asking, what are you willing to give up? And so you have this tension, and we live in a world where, particularly in families, that sometimes something can go from being small and annoying to rather misfortunate tragedies, that we're called to follow God like Abraham, Abraham did through the, the trial. You know, where can things get rocky in our lives? If you're my stage of life, I think about my mother in her 90s. I think about my children and my grandchildren. Think about my neighbors, my friends, marriages, money, jobs, physical health, mental health, natural disasters, man-made disasters, war, crime. We think about all those things that can disrupt people's lives. Abraham probably thought he was in a really good place. I mean, he had a 13-year-old child of the covenant that the promise had happened, that these two old people had a child, and he was safely born and was now 13. And in that culture, if you got to be 13, you're probably going to live. He's got his heir. So sometimes, and it's interesting to me that the word here about Abraham being tested is what happened to Job. And it's interesting that when God tests people, he doesn't target young people, it's old people. People that have a lot to give up. If God has told us through his word that he has adopted us to bless the world. I mean, think about that, that we are part of God's worldwide plan to bless it. That we should live by faith and worship him with our trust in his provision. Believing that God is going to be faithful to his promise. Let me read verse 1 again. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Now, if we've paid attention to previously, sometimes he's responded. Sometimes he falls on his face. Last week he fell on his face in laughter. But it's a straight, here am I. 
Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I shall show you. I think one of the things that this reminds us is that God, to show his love and his compassion for us, can disrupt our lives when we least expect it, when we think things are going along right. For some people, though, it might, not, it might be, you've got to be kidding. This, it, you know, it's something else. But out of this comes what I call a new name. The Lord will provide. I mean, that's something that, that the writer Moses wants us to realize is in this place. Because, see, his audience, his readers yet, those slaves had not been to that part of the world to know where Moriah was. A place that we know, you know, this mount will eventually become the place where we believe the temple was built in Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem hadn't even been organized at this time. I mean, this is the country, this is the hills. It's a three day walk from where he lived. But by the time they come back 400 plus years and they get ready to take Jerusalem, remember David had a, he got a son-in-law out of taking Jerusalem. So it's that long into the story where this place, that this took place, he said, God will provide. Now, this happens to be a part of Scripture that God gives us insight from another Scripture. If you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, again, it's, it's owning up, God tests us, offered up Isaac, whom he had received. The promise was the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Listen to this in verse 19, Hebrews 11, verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which he figuratively speaking did receive him back. Do you see the point of his faith? Now, this is, this is a non-repeatable test. This is one of those things, don't do this at home, children. But it happened for Abraham and it happened for us to learn because we know that everything from the Old Testament is there that we might learn from it. The question is, who will provide? Verse 8 tells us very clearly that God will provide. Remember, when he goes and he leaves, he tells the two young men, he tells his son, that even though they've got the wood, the fire, and the knife, God is going to provide. Verse 14, Jehovah Jireh, God the Lord will provide. It's very clear, and part of it is when we think about and know this in terms of God 
creating and providing a free substitutionary sacrifice that the Lord will provide. The ram in the bush, it says, who, what will be provided? The ram in the bush. You know, this is one of the most heartbreaking passages because you see this image in your mind of a father raising up his knife In a few moments, we're going to understand the intercession by the angel of the Lord. But what I want us to see here is that it is a substitute that doesn't cost Abraham anything that is provided to take the place of his son, his only son, whom he loves. You see what God does? He gives us a very practical, even though it's a heart-wrenching story, about his provision. That it was a place that God took this old man of faith and God provided for that whole burnt offering. I mean, even knowing that God could raise him from the dead, there still is the agony of the thought of sacrificing your child, your only child whom you love. And God clearly brings the sacrifice in because the angel of the Lord knows the heart of Abraham. The Lord will provide. You see, Christ is our provision, our ram in the bush, our whole burnt offering that pays for all of our sins. It's a free offer. It's a substitute. It's a sacrifice. So that we know that our sins are forgiven. The parallel between Isaac, your son, your only son whom you love, and Jesus Christ, the only son of the father whom he loves. You see this voluntary sacrifice of love that God gives us in this illustration here of the ram and then on the cross, that our sins are really paid for, that God has provided for that. I think sometimes as Christians we forget that our daily needs is to make sure that our sins are forgiven that the Holy Spirit convicts us of those so that we can go to the cross, we can go to the blood of Christ, we can confess our sins knowing that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins because he has provided freely. Now, my second point is that a comforting voice returns the angel of the Lord. Now, this is the second time that the angel of the Lord has appeared. We go back and the angel of the Lord comes to, I mean, when you're telling a story, the first reference tells you a lot about how significant it is. And the angel of the Lord goes after Hagar, this Egyptian slave wife of Abraham who is pregnant. And all of a sudden Sarah realizes, this was a bad idea. I want you out of the house. 
No protection, no power, no provisions. But who seeks her out? The angel of the Lord. The first time the angel of the Lord is identified is in this story of compassion and comfort and care and saying that indeed she will have a child and all the things that will happen through her child. I mean, obviously, the chapter is a whole sermon, and if you want to contemplate something, go find the story in Genesis and look at the poem that the angel of the Lord gave her about her son and say, if, if you got that from God about your child, you'd go, you've got to be kidding. Anyway, that's something else. But the angel of the Lord comes. He calls to him. He interrupts him. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to, to him, for I now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And he reminds them, it's because you have obeyed my voice. One of the things in this whole story of the covenant and with Abraham is realizing that we worship a God who reveals himself, who communicates, and who's had it written down. Now, we're going to just take a couple of hops into the future about the angel of the Lord and about the role that the angel of the Lord is being introduced here with Abraham and the significant role in Exodus. Exodus 3, verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Who was in the burning bush? The angel of the Lord. See, as we follow God's revelation of himself, the angel of the Lord is a very important revelation. Now, if you go to Exodus 13, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and at night by the pillar of fire, that they might travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. Now, one last little verse in this about the voice of the angel of the Lord. We're going to jump all the way ahead to Judges. That's skipping, you know, the Joshua time period into the Judges. The angel of the Lord goes up and he says, I brought you out of Egypt. This is in Judges chapter 2. I brought you out of Egypt and brought you into the land I swore to give to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. You see, there really is a reason to believe that that pillar of smoke and fire was the angel of the Lord that was going with them and being present with them that was over next week, tabernacle, who always goes first. So God gives them something to remind them of his presence in their lives. Now, we accept by faith that the Spirit of God is in our lives, the Spirit of adoption, that God is present in our lives. We talk about being in Christ, about Christ being in us. 
this whole discussion in the Bible about him being with us and not being lost, that what was lost when we were kicked out of Eden by his grace has been repaired and we are now present and we are present with somebody who communicates. The angel of the Lord is his presence and his communication. So you have both what we think of as revelation, God reveals himself, and inspiration through Moses to write it down so that we have the word of God. And that should be something that we are so thankful for that we value and we study and pray over and we meditate on it. Now, we come to the end of this story, we have something that I have hinted at and talked about, is that the covenant is not a static relationship. It is something that we see God renewing and renewing and renewing. Because he wants us to remind us in a very fresh way that he is our covenant God. Listen to this, what I call a statement of renewal, In verse 15, again, who's there? And the angel of the Lord. Now, I want to stop and just make it aside. When you get to the New Testament, you have to look at the angels. They're different. Because when when the angels come for the coming of Christ, it's not the angel of the Lord, it's an angel from the Lord. See, there's a difference. But here, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, Listen to this, and hear, hear what God is saying. By myself I have sworn. Remember when the torch went through the body part, the, the sacrifices? By myself I have sworn. He went through, and he went through on our behalf, declares the Lord. So you have the angel of the Lord and the Lord declaring it, being the same, We'll understand that through the Trinity. But because you have done this and you have not withheld your only son, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, as the sand. That's a repeat from a previous passage. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And when and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Reflection going back to Genesis 12. See, we need to see ourselves as part of God's global ministry, as part of God's global plan, his eternal plan. He starts off in the first revelation about covenant and his commitment to Abram at that time, saying, Through you, I will bless all the families on the earth. And now, in many years later, quarter century or so later, in your offspring shall all the nations be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What echoes to me is Jesus in his upper room discourse and talking to his disciples in a very intimate way, saying, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. The only reason we love him is because he's loved us first. He has adopted us, brought us into his family. 
But we cannot forget in this covenant discussion and understanding, it's not just about me. It's always about I'm being blessed to bless others. I've been led to Christ so I can lead other people to Christ. Now, to bring this to this side of the covenant, it is interesting to me that in both descriptions that are given to us in the four Gospels, the two Gospels that have it, Matthew and Luke, Matthew gives us the most explicit statement. When in the upper room, it says, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood in the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He gives us that cup that we can touch and taste and know that, one, he is committed to us, he has adopted us, and our sins are forgiven. That is a fundamental thing that we need to know each day. I think that oftentimes when we forget and are not willing to examine our lives and confess our sins because he has given us his blood, that is what inhibits us from being a witness and being part of the plan to bless all the nations. You see, when we do evangelism, we invite people to consider Christ, we're talking about inviting them to a blessing. And so in this passage in chapter 22 of Genesis, we've looked at a new name is given, the Lord will provide. That's something you can take with you and you can explore in your lives. Whatever your situation is, whatever you feel like is troubling you or needs to be sacrificed or being asked to. And that we have the comforting voice of the Angel, the angel of the Lord, that God has communicated. I think we need to continue to remind ourselves how valuable it is to have the revelation of God, to have his words, so that we can obey out of love. And to realize that God again and again renews his covenant. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. God again and again wants us to remind us how much he loves us and what he has done. When we think about helping our friends from a Christian perspective and talking to them, there's two things that I think often become stumbling blocks. We have to be very careful that we make sure that we have confessed our sin if we are asking somebody else to confess their sin and repent for the first time. Do you understand how disruptive asking somebody to repent of their sin, to realize that they have sinned against a holy God, that that is what's separating them from God? And that God in his grace has provided a substitutionary sacrifice that is free, that that's what grace is? But if we don't confess our sins, if we can't go to them saying, I am a forgiven sinner. The shed blood of Christ has covered and washed me. See, it's going to be phony, it's going to be fake, it's just a brand you're trying to sell. Unless you are willing in Christ 
To go is that forgiven sinner, the one where the ram was found, that Christ was found for you. I couldn't decide which, whether that, talking about confessing our sins, or what I'm going to talk about next, it's a bigger chance. What do you see in that first verse? It says, God's going to test you. It wasn't, well, you can put this on your planner and we can go. No, tomorrow morning you're getting up and you're going. See, oftentimes it's our time that we are unwilling to sacrifice or give over to God that prevents us from doing things that he wants us to do. That we have, by cultural training, busied up our lives so that we think we don't have time for that neighbor for that conversation. Or even within families to have those conversations. I think for modern people, the test of giving up time, remember at the beginning I said, what's the most important? Any of you think of time? Any of you think of your busy lives? Now, I know people who feel lonely feel like they don't have anything in their life. whether you feel like your life is completely full or completely empty, God will provide. Christ has been provided for us that his blood was shed so that it could be the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of our sins, for the forgiveness of our neighbor's sins, no matter what their troubles are. I mean, in modern terms, you know, you would never pick Abraham to be the model of faith. When I was looking at the, the Hagar story, I said, you know, that's, is that the first Me Too moment? When you see a man in power abusing a woman? Because for some today, that's unforgivable. There's a lot of things Abram did that were, in our culture, maybe unforgivable. But yet God forgives him, and he is the model of faith. In the same way when he picks David. There's a guy who really, you know, trying to talk about creating a dis- not just a dysfunctional family, a dysfunctional dynasty that God uses to bring Christ into the world. So, let me pray. I pray, Father, that you would take these words and bring them into our hearts and our minds. That we would read over the passage. Father, there are so many things in this passage to be thankful for. Your provision, your revelation, your forgiveness, your promise of a future, your gift of Jesus Christ. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word and help us to live with it 
and live it out and share it with our neighbors as a sinner who has been forgiven to another sinner who needs to be forgiven. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.